It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the Citymetric podcast. I'm John, and I'm Stephanie, and I'm back again. Hello, hello, hello. This is this is exciting. It's very nice of you to kind of come back and you know pop back and and, and take part once in a while. I'm sure everyone's, I'm sure everyone's very excited because it was just me last week, and that was really awkward. Really talking to yourself. Yeah, I mean, like there was a guest, but I did do the tweets on my own, which was. That's quite cool, though. That's kind of like being a radio DJ. Yeah, I mean, I did kind of find myself slipping into that kind of mid-Atlantic, uh, which was terrible. It wasn't good. It wasn't fun for anyone. So, so yeah, an exciting thing that happened last week is that someone in a pub recognised my voice, specifically from the podcast. I feel like I should tell people that John not only posted this on his own Twitter feed, but DM me to tell me it, and is now saying it again on the podcast. Yeah, and also, like, I'm getting a T-shirt made. And it's like it's like being the world's worst celebrity. Is it's... the T-shirt just going to be your own face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, we're, we're going to talk. About, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about actual stuff. So, what we're going to talk about is um, it, it's a rather loose theme, but we're going to talk about francophone cities because we've both been to one recently. We have both been to one recently, and you've been to Montreal, which I think is a slightly more interesting city in terms of thinking about francophone places than Paris where I've been. Yeah, well, I mean, pa- Paris is, yeah, Paris is almost a sort of more familiar quantity, I think, even if you've not been to Paris, and everyone's been to bloody Paris, right, even even if you've not been, you kind of have an idea of Paris, whereas Montreal, I think, is a bit more alien. But this, ways. have you heard of Paris Syndrome? I have heard of Paris Syndrome, yeah, but so, t- remind <laughs> me of Paris Syndrome. So the the fact that everyone does have an idea of Paris causes real problems because occasionally you get tourists who have this idea of Paris as this beautiful romantic city, which obviously it is, but it also unavoidably is a tourist capital that smells of we everywhere, I would say. And you get people who kind of go into shock, so disillusioned are they with the actuality of Paris, which did not happen to us on this trip. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> so, but, I mean, presumably there's a London syndrome which involves getting really anger of slow walking tourists and constantly having the taste of air pollution in your mouth and, and then falling out of a pub at like half 11 on a weeknight but- i think um i think london syndrome is when you come as a tourist everyone's really polite you have a lovely time and then you find your first london bogey you know where just the inside of your nose oh, goes completely black, black. yeah <laughs> that's great that's great so okay what were, you, what, what were you doing in paris let's do paris first i was just going 
on a whim. Basically, I handed in my doctorate, and that's the big piece of news for this um, podcast, and I got a new job, and I thought if I don't leave the country, I will just keep freelancing in between those two things. Um, so I kind of nagged my long-suffering partner and booked Eurostar tickets, and we just went off, which turned out to be really fortuitous, because between the time when we booked it and when we actually left, Theresa May called a general election. Oh, God, yeah. And if neither of us had had a holiday in the diary, we just would not have seen each other for about a month, except for, you know, occasionally meeting in the hallway screaming. So, um, um, That's nice you got to spend some time together before... Before all of this. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but it was lovely, and we did... Uh, it was the first time my boyfriend had been there, so we did all of the kind of touristy stuff. We climbed to the top of Sacra Cœur Basilica... We went to the Musée d'Orsay. We did, you know, all the kind of... Yeah. Yeah. The things that I think are not the fun things to do in London, we did their Paris equivalent. <laughs> so so what do, you, what do you make of Paris as a city? Where do you stand on it? Where does it rank? I love Paris, but I... No, I do. I really, really love Paris. And actually, I love Paris in a very uncool way in that I think you're meant to be slightly over, you know... Paris, the Paris that causes Paris syndrome. Um, and I just kind of unironically think it's great. I love the Eiffel Tower. I love all really that. Cool it's though, just it? really fun. Yeah. Um, and I love that view from up Montmartre where it, like, you just. You can just see the whole. And yeah. I love a good view. Um, and also, we stayed in the 13th, which is kind of the Parisian Whitechapel. We're going to get tweets now going, no, it's absolutely not the Parisian mm. Whitechapel. Um, and it was a really fun time to be there. We were there at the beginning of May. And. You know, elections were in full swing. There was graffiti on all the posters of Le Pen changing, you know, the choice for France to the rancid choice. Um, we were in a big Mélenchon neighbourhood, which was really interesting to see people still really coming out for him after he had been taken out. Oh, this was between the two. This the was two between votes. the two rounds, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of people pasting Mélenchon posters over Macron and all of this. And fun time to be there. Got to see some... Um, we got to hear some Mayday riots from cool. a couple of streets away. That's that was awesome. pretty, yeah. yeah, it was pretty full on, but it was, it was fun. I think it's worth saying that you know, while there are no doubt Mélenchon voters who are holdouts, uh, Macron did get something insane like ninety six percent of the Parisian vote, which was you know, that, that's a hell of that's an impressive number, even like you know. Obviously, you would expect that, like, a massively racist candidate would not do well in, in, in London either. But nonetheless, it's like 96%, I think. He really took it away. And I think um, what's interesting is that now he's appointed this kind of centre-right guy to his cabinet. It's looking like he'll do well in the next set of elections. And, you know, it's all looking pretty strong and stable over there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come, we'll come on to elections in a bit. But firstly, I want, I want to ask you... what. What do you think of the Parisian transport system? That's, oh my what, that's God. what the listeners really want to know. <laughs> I have my issues with the metro, and my issues are twofold. It's one of the men. I mean, men are an issue with any kind of city, um, and I feel like they're getting worse in London as the weather gets hotter. The sexual harassment seems to go on an XY axis between temperature and just, like, men behaving really inappropriately on public transport. Um no, my issues aside from that are twofold, and one is the aforementioned smell of urine everywhere. 
absolutely terrible inside the metro makes your eyes water. That is in some ways a subset of men, isn't it? If, it's, if we're honest of ourselves. We don't that's know that. Not, <laughs> it's, we, we can't be certain, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put a small amount of money on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing which actually I find quite entertaining is that every metro line has doors that open differently on the carriages. What is with that? Have you noticed this? It's a while since I've been. I remember some of them have those sort of handle doors. Some of them have handles, some of them you press things. I think some open automatically. Now they have ones that have the, you know, the double doors like you get on the Jubilee line here. Um, It is an absolute minefield. The (laughs) the weird thing about the Paris Metro from a London perspective, well, the weird thing about Paris from a London perspective really is that, you know, the official boundaries of Paris are about six miles across. It's like the equivalent of zones one and two in, you know, it's inner London basically. Um, and the metro covers that really extensively, but then largely stops. So in you know a lot of the Parisian suburbs that in London would be places that have the tube or whatever, some of them don't have anything. Some of them have the the RER, which is mm. you know obviously the, the, you know, where they, which we're kind of stealing with Crossrail, where they basically dug tunnels under Paris to link up mainline railways. But but like there are huge chunks of the Parisian suburbs that don't really have any rail transport to speak of and those tend to be the poorer ones oddly enough and it is definitely one of those cities where um you know lower to middling incomes are just being forced out of the city center rapidly yeah yeah whereas montreal i'm guessing is some kind of socialist paradise yeah well obviously um okay the the the, the first thing i realized about montreal which you know this isn't true i was going to say the first thing i realized on landing at pierre trudeau airport uh, which, in fact, actually, I didn't realise till I was on my way back to Pierre Trudeau Airport. So this is this is you know how long this took me. But the airport is named after the Prime Minister's dad, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Wait, how, <laughs> don't you work on cities at a political magazine? I wasn't really paying attention. Like, I mean, I knew it, I, like, it's not like I didn't know that you know Justin Trudeau was Prime Minister of Canada. I've seen the memes, but I just wasn't really paying that much attention to what the airport was called because it's just like I'm going to Montreal. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I found it a slightly okay. A number of things that kind of confused me about it. I knew like I was expecting it to be quite French, and I was sort of aware it's just you know it's really only a few miles north of the U.S. border, so I was expecting it to be like recognisably an Eastern North American city. Um, and, you know, the, there are bits of it that are very much like both of those things. Like, the, you know, it's the, the old town, the section down by the, the old docks is that, like, there, there are actual sort of little dusty squares there that really could just be part of Paris. Like the bit with the Montreal History Museum is very reminiscent of large chunks of Paris. Um, and, and there are bits that are kind of reminiscent of, you know, large chunks of the Eastern United States as well. The thing that I kind of hadn't realized would be in the mix and, this is also going to be one of those things in which I'm an idiot, is it's also in Canada. What? Like, okay, what I mean is, like, the only other Canadian city I've spent any time in, really, is Vancouver quite a while ago, which is obviously the other side of the continent. It's, like, some insane, like, 3,000 miles away. But there are ways in which it really reminded me of Vancouver, and that surprised me, and I think it's probably because they're both in Canada. I mean, it could... It could I be, do this for that, a living, that could know. be behind like, it. Yeah, this is. I get. I literally get paid for these observations. Were you um, Were you extremely surprised to just kind of see the same chain stores and similar? What were the 
things that reminded you of Vancouver? It's more almost the sort of landscaping. It's just like there's. Yeah, it wasn't so much the building is just... I mean, there's probably, like, subconscious things, like the street signs are the same colour or whatever. But, like, part of it is... OK, so Montreal might be named after Montreal, which is, like, this this park with a mountain in it, basically. And it's like it's only a small mountain. There's, like, the steps up it so you can climb it. But you get to the top and you are like, oh, bloody hell, I'm above all the skyscrapers. So it goes, you're pretty high. I also love that you say it's only a small mountain compared to anything in these aisles. It's a really big mountain, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's probably not. It probably is. It reminded me of Arthur's Seat in Edinburgh. Like it's okay. the same kind. Like it's it's, right. it's probably bigger than Arthur's Seat. It's probably a lot bigger than Arthur's Seat. But it's the same kind of thing that, like, a couple of miles back from the downtown, you have what is marked on the map as a park, but is very clearly a mountain, and then the city <laughs> continues behind it. That's something you get in Edinburgh and in Montreal. But but yeah no it's just like the the kind of the the, the look of the the, the countrysidey bits is obviously is, is quite similar to Vancouver despite the fact it's literally the other side of the continent it's just you know fir trees above skyscraper I don't I don't really know what I'm talking about here to be honest <laughs> I find this quite funny um, it's a very similar thing to I think what you get in Switzerland where you're in a city centre and you see those peaks in the background and it feels very much like you're in the sound of music it's so reminiscent of a particular imagery of that country yeah and it's it's also something that's and it's not universal at all but a lot of a lot of cities that are most familiar to both me and probably a lot of the listeners like london and paris and new york you're kind of not really aware of the natural environment that much like you know that you occasionally see a river or something but it, it's it's cities with mountains in them kind of still blow my mind to, to an extent just because like, I'm not used to being able to see like stuff that is very clearly a feature of the landscape as opposed to something made by human hands. Do you think that Canadian landscaping is a Justin Trudeau mean, meme? I, <laughs> where, I don't know where you're going with this. Kind of, Philip, I'm, I'm going to throw this one back at you because I, I can tell it's one of those things you're throwing out there I to see what ridiculous of, stuff oh, I, I think can't. all of Twitter knows what the joke is. I don't know. <laughs> And this is, this, this is, yeah, okay. Anyway, we back. can talk about that later. Oh, God, I'm going to get my mentions. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I, I went to the, as, as is my way in the new city, I went to the Montreal History Museum, which is very interesting. If you're ever in Montreal. Uh, <laughs> it's something I didn't realise, actually, was that it was, the, the Francophone thing kind of came back. Like, obviously, it was founded by French settlers, and it was a major trading post, and for a while it was kind of, you know, the largest city in what later became Canada. Um, but then quite early it got nicked by the British in, like, what was it, the Seven Years' War, so 1750s, 1760s. Um, and then there's like a century where it's all English and Irish and Scottish settlers moving in with a few Germans or something. Um, so it is possible to sort of imagine this alternative history in which it just ends up another Anglophone city. But Somehow the the French community kind of hangs on, which I find quite interesting. That like the, the, the you know even though like so much of the the migration was particularly from Ireland, that it remained very francophone in its identity, mm. and like this still has a massive impact. So like you know, as is my way, I was reading about nerdy stuff about city boundaries and so on while I was there, and in. Montreal is an island, and in 2002, the authorities said, it's really stupid, we've got all these different municipalities in this island, we're just going to make them all part of the city of Montreal. And in 2006, 
a bunch of them broke away again because they didn't want to be part of the Mon city of Montreal, even though they're literally surrounded by the city of Montreal. And those are generally the English-speaking communities. <laughs> so, so yeah, you got you know you have this sort of mental image of like you know the Quebecois um, really jealously guarding their language privileges in in Canada. Well, it turns out like the English speakers in Quebec are doing exactly the same bloody thing. <laughs> so basically, you went to Canada, and what you learned was that Montreal is in Canada, and that the British behave exactly the same there as they do here. Yeah, I mean basically. <laughs> Can we, can, before we move on, can I, uh, can, I, can I ask you a quiz question? I can tell I don't have a choice, so sure. Yeah. What's the largest uh, francophone city in the world? Is it Quebec? No. What is it? It's, uh, we've, we've been talking about the second and third largest. It's uh, Kinshasa. Is it? Yeah. Which is, you know, it's, it's now something insane, like 10 or 12 million people. You know, they, you they're not really sure, but it's big. It's bigger than Paris now. Um, and it's you know it's one of those mega cities that no one re is really aware it's a mega city because we don't really spend that much time thinking about the Democratic Republic of Congo, do we? What about where does London's French expat population rank? Because isn't there some outlandish statistic about that being the something biggest French yeah, city? Yeah, it gets or... talked about as like the French, the fifth biggest French city. Or something, it's something it's... incredible by now. Yeah, yeah, but it's I mean. There's a couple of problems with this. First, there's the old problem of like where do you draw a boundary? So, like if you're just looking at the municipal population as opposed to the whole urban area, um, you often get misleadingly small populations. And secondly, we don't really know how many French people live in London. Like there is an estimate for the number that live in the UK, I think, but nobody keeps track of like how many are within the bounds of Greater London. So it's see, I thought there was something about. The number of votes cast in the election, kind of people were reflecting on where that came in. Yeah. Because, and because they are very, very committed. You see the queues in, is it Kensington? The, yeah, there was one in Kensington. I think there was one in North London as and well. And there's kind yeah, of there's these three-hour-long queues. And Yeah, anyway, French people good at democracy, British people surly gatekeepers of land. Yeah. Yeah. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So this week we asked you a question about moving to cities or visiting new cities and the weird details that surprised you that maybe you hadn't seen before you got there. Like John, for instance, with figuring out Montreal's in Canada. Eurovisa, I really check. Yeah, no, I don't have a name for this person. She's just Eurovisan. Anne. Anne, yeah, um said that she was surprised <laughs> by Sunday morning trading hours in London. Yeah, those are still a pain in the ass. Um, and also how Southwark is pronounced in London versus in Philadelphia, where apparently it's uh, Southwark. What? No, that's. I not... mean, it is literally spelt Southwark, so you would, you know, it's not, it's not that weird. Yeah, it's Southwark, isn't it? <laughs> the Sunday trading hours, um, going back to Switzerland, it is an absolute nightmare just trying to get ibuprofen in Swiss towns on a Sunday. Generally, there's one shop open in the railway station. Whatever had you been doing on Saturday nights in Switzerland that required ibuprofen with such urgency? No, I hadn't even been out because the Swiss don't invite strangers to the pub properly. Or maybe no. it's just me. Maybe they just don't like me. Yeah. This is quite interesting. So Laurie Winkless um, is new to Wellington, New Zealand, and she's come up with some really interesting details there. So one thing is that you can pay for taxis or parking with the equivalent of an Oyster card over there, which sounds really smart. Why don't we do that? I think we don't want to give any more money to the taxi. Although like, there have there have been discussions at TFL about how they regret not including, not bringing Uber into the family, as it were because they kind of think it would be easier to sort of regulate it if they were kind of letting it use the TFL logo and so on. It gives you a sort of lever. But that's, 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 quite interesting. that's a different podcast. Um, she also says that there's lots of cool earthquake-related tech in buildings, for instance, lead or rubber bearings or rockers, and they have trolley buses. Here's a depressing one. When I moved to Aberdeen, I was shocked that a city that had benefited from 30 years of oil and gas boom had nothing to show for it civically. That is true, actually. Have you ever been to Aberdeen? I have been to Aberdeen, and Dundee has got a sort of similar thing in that there's some really beautiful buildings paid for by industry, but what's it doing? Aberdeen is weird because it's just like... I've I've been twice now and spent the day in the city, and both both times I thought, well, this would be nice, see a new city, and there's just nothing to nothing that you would actually want to go and see that feels like I'm so going to get letters let's move there's on a, from um, there's a brilliant bit in Hugh McDermott's um, and Lewis Grassic Gibbon's book Scottish Scene um, where I think it's about Aberdeen they call Aberdeen a hair-lipped gin-addled widow who was born nine and buried six or something like that <laughs> Well, th- thank you for taking the bullet for me there and making sure that you in fact <laughs> this is something Hugh McDermott said that's not something yeah, I said oh. at all this is interesting. Goody Loop 808 says they were surprised by the amount of cigarette smokers in Amsterdam. This is a really intriguing thing, how cities feel about their cigarettes, because going back to Paris, they did not accept the smoking ban over there. At really? All. Yeah. yeah, no. They tried to introduce a smoking ban in France, and the French basically went, No. I do what I want. Yeah. I like this one from Philip Vabulous. He says he moved to a US city, looked at a map for the nearest shop, and it looked walkable. <laughs> One and a half hours later, I realised things are a little more spread out there. I've I've done the same thing, I've but it was in, in when I did it, it was in Doha. But you know, yeah, I've done that in um, in Boston. Naomi Jacobs, on the other hand, on Aberdeen, says they have two sets of buses. One company gives change, and the other doesn't. Confusing. Okay. Ed Hayes says when he moved to London, he was surprised that taking public transport is for all social classes. So very. Uh... 
Yeah, we are good on that. Although I feel like there is a bus versus tube distinction. Yeah. But I mean, basically, London is a, is a socialist paradise is the lesson here. Which reminds me, how are you feeling about the election? Oh, God, are we doing this? Um, I'm feeling too busy to get that stressed about it. I'm feeling like I don't want to set too much store in narrowing polls. Um, and that's kind of it. <laughs> how are you feeling? I, I do not think for a second that Labour is going to win or we're going to get hung Parliament or it's even going to be that close. But I am enjoying uh, the way, despite the fact that Theresa May is, is going to win, it's nonetheless completely destroyed her reputation as a safe pair of hands. And it's turned out that actually she's she's quite useless and frightened of people. And and also, this is something I've not really been posting much about on Twitter because I, I'm just kind of tired of getting horrible tweets, whatever I post. But um, Corbyn is doing quite well. He is, isn't he? He's a very... That's really thrown me. He's actually, yeah. Well, I mean, as our my former colleague and your current colleague, Stephen Bush, pointed out, he has always been very good at doing rallies and performances and looking genial and friendly. And especially now he's stopped getting very cross when people ask him things that annoy him. Yeah. He's become a very, very good performer. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, like, the one concern I have with the narrowing polls and so on is that when this election was called, I did think to myself, well, at least it can't po- election night can't possibly be as, as horrible as election night 2015 when we thought Labour might win. And, you know, there, there were actual tears in the new statesman office. And, and like, the, 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 <laughs> I remember the tears. And, and like the, 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 I remember the exit poll coming out and it said, you know, it's going to be a conservative, uh, it's going to be conservatives, the largest party. And our political editor, George Eaton, said, yep, yep, that's what we're expecting. And then he said, it's going to be a conservative majority. And George said, ah! <laughs> You've just deafened all of our listeners. <laughs> that, that, that is but a fraction of the pain that we yeah. felt that night. <laughs> but I thought going, going into this one, I thought, well, at least there isn't any hope. And now they've given us hope. I mean, so I think the YouGov poll is one thing. I think the YouGov model that ran on the Times front page as of the day we're recording this, so it might be a couple of days out by now, they were very clear that it's not a predictive model. Yeah, <laughs> I almost swore then, but yeah, no, and then an expletive which would lose us out our universal rating. Yeah, of course it's not a predictive model. No way am I buying that thing. Well, yeah, and I think it's, I think it's important to recognise the that May has not run a good campaign. That this idea of keeping everything in her inner circle and just being as kind of um, bland and not Corbyn as possible does not work. That Corbyn has run for all accounts a very good campaign, but that equally I'm not feeling optimistic and I won't allow myself to become so. The things I'm hearing from, um, you know, lots of different people who are campaigning in different marginals or different seats is that it's not as terrible as it looked on the day the election was called, but we are not home and dry. Yeah, and and it is it has been a disastrous campaign for the Tories and they've turned like a 25-point lead into a five-point lead and are now reduced to saying things like, it's still outside the margin of error. Well, a five-point lead according to some of the polls. I, I think yeah, it's interesting that ICM and Comrades that. who um, wait more rigorously for turnout, which is historically a big problem for Labour, have bigger Tory leads. And I really hope that the young people who... Um, you govern people are saying will turn out in full force do um again it's not something i can allow myself to hope about no well we're going to put this out on the thursday so i suppose next time will be election day so 
Good luck, yeah. everyone. May God have mercy on our souls. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>